How are you doing there? It is David from the David McWilliams podcast, and this is a Staycast from Acast. We're all following the government's advice right now. We're staying in. It's a little bit cocooning, but it's all working. So while you're staying at home, here's a recommendation of another great podcast. It's the Blind Boy podcast. He's an old mate. He's a great skin. He has extraordinarily interesting views of the world. Check it out. It's time for the Mirror Football Podcast with Sam Matterface. This week on the Mirror Football Podcast, are Spurs able to keep Kane? Transfer talk teed up at just the right time. I wonder why that is. Jose drops Paris casually into the conversation. I wonder why that is. Mind game madness. Uh, A city divided, but is the title race this season a simple question of good versus evil? Is Mourinho so wedded to his ways that he's in danger of becoming as out of date as Arsene Wenger? Everton's search for a forward pass is going on longer than Shane Long's wait for a goal. Liverpool's mayor sticks it to Ronald. We speak to an Everton legend later. Chelsea's squad is shallow. How? And after being humbled, is Hughes walking a fine line? Plus, Big Tom's big news on Premier League footballers giving away their wages. Why you must visit the National Football Museum and some of your great WhatsApp messages and tweets. All on the show that has got more cojones than the Arsenal defence. It's the Mirror Football Podcast. Actually, technically, that isn't true, (laughs) but we won't talk about that here. Uh, By the way, if you haven't subscribed via iTunes, please get round to doing that. That would certainly help. Now, we're recording this uh, podcast at the National Football Museum in Manchester, which is the best football-based attraction I think you could probably attend, isn't it? It's fantastic. Um, It is interactive. It's innovative. Uh, Most importantly, it's it's great fun. It's a journey through footballing history, which I think would appeal to everyone in the family. There's some amazing artefacts uh, doing the rounds from a life-size Pelé. You like that one, don't you? I like it. His hair wasn't as good as it was maybe back in the day. But We've yeah. got Badil and Skinner's uh, fantasy football couch. And you can have your photo uh, with the League and FA Cup today. Or, if you like, a picture with the Michael Jackson statue, uh, which used to be outside uh, Fulham Stadium. It really is difficult to beat it. Uh, more a little bit later on. Alongside me, Big Tom, the producer, and this week, Steve Bates, the chief football writer of the people and former chairman of the FWA in the pod. So press royalty right here. Hi, Bates, are you all right? Hello, morning, Sam. Morning, guys. Yeah, all good, thanks. Yeah. And Ian Whittle, freelance journalist uh, from this part of the world. Uh, his stuff you'll read in the mirror on a regular basis. How are you doing, Ian? Very good, thanks, guys. Good to be here. Uh, thanks for coming in. Uh, we will talk Champions League, Troy Deeney, the destroyer, uh, West Brom, Leicester, And I will not say I saw this coming when we mentioned Chelsea, I promise you. (laughs) So much to uh, rattle on with Newcastle, Greg Clark, Everton, Leon Osman coming on the show a little bit later. But first, let's start by talking about mind games. They're all at it, but do they work? Uh, Marker's quite astonishing mistake-laden article that contained distasteful slurs just before the Champions League tie with Spurs. Zidane describing Harry Kane as a complete player. Pep talking up Sari and Napoli. De Laurentiis getting very, very hot under the collar about it. Jose dropping a hint that it won't all end at United and openly flirting with PSG. What's the, what's the motivation here, Batesy? Well, for me, it's one clear motivation, and that's just gaining whatever extra inch that you can these days in yeah. football because football now is a game with such slim and small margins that any way that you can get an, an advantage on your opponent, <clears throat> you'll take it. And that's why these mind games now... Um, uh, are sort of played out on a regular basis. I love it personally. A lot of people don't. A lot of people think it's hot air and baloney. It's, it's, it's okay I actually love it. It's okay when it's just a, a bit of mind games trying to unsettle a player by talking about where he's going to go next or what he's going to do. But it's not okay when you're writing articles like Marker did over the last 24 hours. Yeah, I think that's a different case. And uh, we've got to remember in that case, the, those Spanish papers you're talking about do always have a hidden agenda. They're kind of very much in bed with one or the other big Spanish clubs. And that one was quite sinister because it had other overtones, as we know. Most of the time, it's just good knockabout stuff and let's not kid ourselves this has been around as long as football Bates spent his career covering <laughs> Sir Alex Ferguson and there was no one better and never will be anyone better than Sir Alex and I think every one of those examples you've given there's a, there's a, a different motive in each case and, but there always is a motive let's not kid ourselves you know Jose Mourinho people like that they never say anything without there being a reason for them saying it yeah, are we uh, sometimes guilty of reading a little bit too much into something? I mean, we want managers to speak, don't we? We're desperate for them to say something. But then do we overanalyze and speculate that they mean this or they, they kind of mean this? Or, or I suppose what happened with this guy? We saw again the hurricane team, so we score every day two or three goals. Even, even, even the greats like Pep aren't uh, 
uh, immune from uh, playing a few mind games when if it's going to give their team an advantage. And uh, as I say, you know, I, I think it's I think it's all good fun as long as it doesn't overstep the mark. Um, you know, we guys are in the media. We're, we're looking for every different angle we can get. Um, so, you know, bring it on. That's what I, I, I felt a bit sorry for Pep in that case, Sam. I know what you're <coughs> saying there because I was actually at that press conference after the Chelsea game and he said it with a smile on his face. I think he was actually trying to be complimentary because yeah. Kane had scored one or two goals that day at Huddersfield, I think. And he was actually saying in the way Pep does, he was talking up an opponent, saying how good Harry Kane was rather than trying to make it out that Tottenham are a one-man team. So I felt a bit sorry, but obviously the journalists who were covering the next Pochettino press conference took it upon themselves to kind of imply that he was calling Tottenham a one-man team and it went on from there. Uh, Kane has been linked with uh, Real Madrid, timely enough. Uh, £170 million. Poch says he's a one-club man. Zidane says he is the complete player. Watching him, do you get excited? I mean, you said a couple of weeks ago on the pod that he's the kind of guy now, when you're looking at your score centre app at the, on a Saturday afternoon, you're expecting it to flash up with Harry Kane's name. Yeah, when we saw it at the weekend, he is actually human. Um, but I, as I was, we had a conversation earlier on in the cafe, and, and at, at the moment, if someone was to offer me tickets to any match in world football, I'd, I'd got to say I'd probably watch a, a team with Kevin De Bruyne or Harry Kane in it, maybe even a little bit more than, than Messi or Ronaldo at the moment. They're, they're, they're that good. I mean, it, his game of the weekend was a bit of a blemish, but apart from that, he's just he's as a complete striker as we've seen, well, for years and years, I'd say. Do you see him staying at Spurs or do you think that uh, he'll end up going on to pastures new, maybe end up going on to somewhere like Real Madrid where he has been linked? Yeah, listen Sam, I think that's going to be all determined by how successful Tottenham are. If if Tottenham start to win trophies, um, which is the next phase of their development, let's face it, we've been saying this now for at least a year, maybe more. If they start to win trophies, um, then Harry Kane, I'm absolutely certain, being one of their own, will want to stay and particularly stay at the new White Hart Lane. I think that will be a big factor as well. If Tottenham are going to be the nearly team, the nearly men of the Premier League, then, you know, Harry Kane has got to take a dispassionate look at his career and say, do I want to end up uh, a one-club man, maybe, uh, an absolute loyal diamond of a player for Tottenham Hotspur, but with nothing in my trophy cabinet? I don't think he wants that, Harry Kane. I think he's ambitious. I think he's driven. Uh, I think he wants to reach the very heights. He wants to match the greats, not only the Premier League, but also Europe. And I think to do that, if Tottenham aren't going to win trophies, he's going to move on. And, and by the way, if he keeps scoring the goals he is doing, then, listen, people will be knocking on, on his door. I got quite a bit of stick recently. I did the Tottenham-West Ham game at, at the London Stadium and um, got a bit of stick off on social media for you know, suggesting that... you know. Um, Kane's performances are just going to lead to one thing and that's a move away from White Hart Lane and um, I can understand the Tottenham fans wanting to keep him um, but let's be realistic here you know at the end of the day when, when, when players have finished they don't look at the bank balance they look at the trophy cabinet um, stick off social media I mean that's a, that's a shock isn't it that, that, never, that never happens does it um, <laughs> just for basic <laughs> I've got to say if the, I'm going to sound like a cliche driven football manager here but if this summer's taught us one thing it's that everyone's got the price you know yeah. if we're in a world now where Barcelona can't keep hold of the best player then all bets are off you know so I, I personally looking from afar and I don't know Tottenham as well as I know the North West clubs I get the impression Tottenham are going to have to have a sort of philosophy change if they're going to keep him longer term obviously Daniel Levy has run a f- very successful football club a very successful business but if as Batesy says it's crucial they make that next step and if they're going to do that they get, then they're going to have to compete with the Man Citys and Man Uniteds and all the money that goes with that. What I would say, Sam, on that, um, I was with, the, uh, with Tottenham on tour for the Mirror in the summer. Uh, we, we, we were in um, uh, Orlando, Nashville, um, New York, and I, I got a, a kind of a, a, a very close-up glimpse of Harry Kane in the Tottenham camp uh, and around the players and the staff. He's absolutely fully focused on Tottenham Hotspur. He, 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 he is one of their own. You can tell he's so relaxed around the camp. He, he's not a big star um, with an ego whatsoever. He's just one of the lads at Tottenham. And um, I think if Tottenham fans could see that, then they would be probably um, more at ease that hmm. maybe he, he will stay at around, Tottenham. Yeah. Um, Jose Mourinho has uh, given an interview this week uh, with Telefonica in France or Telefoot TV or wherever it was. I'm sure I will not finish my career here, he says. Um, His son went to a Paris match uh, because he would rather go there than watch Manchester United. Um, What is this about? New deal? Well, I'd rather go to Paris than watch Liverpool Man United again, as I had to do with Batesy on Saturday. Um, 
Yeah, I mean, the timing is very coincidental, isn't it? There have been stories for some time now that there's a new contract on the table or, or contract talks are opening. And surprise, surprise, in the midst of this, Jose comes out and just happens to mention that maybe there's an, uh, that he won't end his career at United and there's an offer on the table. I've got to say, part of that is a bit of a, a so what reaction from me in that who expects Jose to end his career at United I don't think anyone who's followed him or exactly exactly so it's more a question of timing you know will he will he be leaving in a year will he be leaving in three years will he be leaving in 10 years we can guarantee he'll be leaving but I think yeah to get back to your original mind game comment this is a great example of Jose's timing I think this is an interesting story because for a while now last certainly for last 12 months I've been hearing rumors at United that Jose's not happy with the process the way things are done at the club um uh, yet you can't deny that he's been handed everything uh, in terms of uh, players and money and resources to buy the best players. He's been given every uh, everything there, but I am still told that he's slightly frustrated sometimes by uh, you know how th- how slowly th- sometimes things move at United. Some things he wants to do don't always happen so quickly. I know he's been frustrated by some travel arrangements which went awry last season and um, maybe all this is kind of and with the contract talk in the background maybe all of this is is bubbling up from what I know Jose Mourinho is very happy at Manchester United Um, If uh, Jose does go to PSG is he going to go to Lyon and try and get a nil-nil draw? Well it's an interesting it's an interesting point isn't it because I mean you look at what the tactics were at the weekend and clearly there's nothing wrong with going to Anfield to pick a point up but that kind of lack of ambition I mean would you, would you do that with Neymar and Cavani I'm not sure that's even possible is it don't think they'd uh, be up for that uh, no. funnily enough Newcastle United are up for sale is this really breaking news Chinese sniffing around didn't we know he was looking to sell anyway I mean this is just the last throw of the dice isn't it I've had enough please someone take it off my you'd hands you'd have thought so wouldn't you I mean he's been trying to sell it I think almost the minute he bought it he was trying to sell it so I don't think there's any major surprise uh, in that it took me back my first job was actually on the Newcastle Chronicle way back in the 80s at the time Sir John Hall was buying the club and I remember the hysteria that that surrounded that obviously Kevin Keegan followed soon afterwards and I I think Geordie fans are so they were desperate 30 years ago for new ownership and success and they're still in that situation now Um, I think that relationship has seen its course, hasn't it? I think it's best for all concerned if he can find a buyer very quickly now. As Simon Burge yesterday said, uh, one club city, 52,000 sold-out stadium every week, Benitez in charge, £100 million worth of TV cash guarantee, one trophy makes you a legend, £350 million bargain. He's not wrong, is he? No, he's absolutely right. I mean, you know, whoever manages to land that first trophy for Newcastle <clears throat> uh, that they've not won for decades, they are going to truly have legendary status on, on the tune, that's for sure. Um, uh, you know, uh, Ashley, let's not forget, Ashley wrote off the Newcastle's debt when he took over. He's, he's invested a fair few million in the club, uh, but not to the level that obviously Newcastle fans want. Rafa Benitez earlier this season was really frustrated um, by the lack of sort of transfer activity. Um, but I, I tend to agree with Wits that I think that this is not a marriage that's made in heaven. It's almost a marriage made in hell. We go back to the Wonga deal that uh, upset everybody. Um, you know, uh, Mike Ashley sometimes hasn't really uh, bought into the, the Geordie mindset. Mm-hmm. He's never engaged with the fans properly in a way that you would want a, a chairman or an owner to do. So um, I, I think, um, you know, if you, if you polled anybody on... Uh, say 100 Newcastle fans 100 of them would say yeah we want a change of uh, ownership To answer your question directly Sam the going rate for a a big NFL team in the States or a big NBA team in the States is a billion dollars now they're changing hands for a billion dollars in the light of that and bearing in mind we're all told that the Premier League football clubs have still got to make a lot more money out of TV there's a lot more avenues revenue streams they haven't exploited 350 million sounds an absolute snip if I had that in my pocket I'd be out there today to do it well also he's, he's come up with this offer hasn't he buy now, uh, buy now pay, pay later, later. Um, he's so desperate to get it off his hands I mean we learned that, that Chinese investment rumour earlier on in the summer and the other links were just leaks out to flush out buyers and we haven't had any firm bids just yet but he's so desperate to shift he just wants to get rid he gets no wage from it he gets no dividend from it ultimately zero financial reward for one hell of a lot of grief Uh, more on that a little bit later on Uh, Leon Osman joins us as well later to discuss toffee troubles but first what was that we're Man United we don't go to Anfield play for the nil-nil and expect the fans to be happy Mourinho's first test of the season was a fail. I genuinely can't for the life of me see what everybody's moaning about that game for then. We've gone to Anfield and got a point. The international breaks just happened as well, let's not forget. It's a clean sheet for the team. 
And if anything, between those two managers today, it's Klopp being more negative and defensive at the end of the game. And there's more than Manchester United to discuss, don't worry, but it's all coming. Clearly the weekend divided United fans, no doubt about it. Thanks to everyone who sent us voice notes on WhatsApp. There was something that you mentioned on Twitter, Batesy. You, you wrote an article about LVG who was watching on as well, and we'll make comparisons on that in just a moment. But here is the big question. Stylish and scruffy, slick and stubborn, goals and graft, the light side and the dark, obligate with Star Wars reference, you like that, <laughs> don't you? Um, swashbuckling against saboteurs. Is this season's title race just a battle between good and evil? Well, it, it appears that way at the moment, yeah. I mean, Pep's playing the beautiful game and Jose's playing the ugly game. Um, who's to say who will uh, triumph at the end? At this moment in time, I think you'd put all your money on Manchester City winning the title, <clears throat> simply because I can't see anybody stopping them. I mean, they're, they're, they're just they're like a juggernaut at the moment. Um, even when they've played the bigger clubs, Chelsea, Liverpool, they've kind of swatted them aside, no problem. Um, you know, United fans uh, uh, gave me a bit of grief at the weekend for, for the piece I wrote. Um, but I've never known. Other, but then again, a lot of others didn't because I've never known a result polarise Manchester United fans so much. Some people thought at the end of the day this would be a very good point in a long, long season. Other people thought United's performance was an absolute disgrace. How can a team like Manchester United, with all their tradition, history, their DNA, go to Liverpool and, and, and park the bus? Um, as a Liverpool fan, you were remarkably um, anti Jose Mourinho for his approach to the game on Saturday. Did he kill the game or were Liverpool guilty as well of settling for a point, especially towards the end? Well, their best player was out. And I think if you look at a lot of the press in the build-up to the game, the, the combined 11, Liverpool had two players in that combined 11. One of them was Coutinho, one of them was Mane. Mane didn't play, Coutinho did play and perhaps should have had a penalty. They, had, they have got by far the better players and a by far a better team and they came to Anfield to not play. You're not a fan of what he said afterwards where he was waiting for Jurgen Klopp to come out and start attacking? Well, as Steve said, I'd be worried if I was a United fan and I was waiting for anyone to do anything. Surely you're going there to impose yourself rather than wait for someone else. That just opens him up to the criticism that he's gone to Anfield purely just to counter-attack. And that's fine. That's a legitimate strategy. But be clear and be honest that that's, was, that was your strategy. That's fine. Is it a good job he doesn't have a Twitter account? Like <laughs> Donald Trump, for example? Well, I, you're saying that because I have mentioned there are echoes, there are similarities in managerial style between Jose Mourinho and Donald Trump. Both will deny the obvious. Both will obfuscate and uh, suggest that it's fake news if you're slightly critical of them. There are, there's, I'd say there's more than one uh, passing similarity between the two in terms of the managerial style. I think um, what, 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 what we've got to look at here as well, Sam, is this game was built up as the game of the season. Yeah. It was built up as the iconic Premier League fixture. Well, I think it, we, we've put so much emphasis on, on this now. Uh, both teams looked paralysed by fear on, on Saturday. Neither of them wanted to lose. When you go out into a football match, a high-profile game like that that's shown around the globe, and your first thing is, we must not lose... I think that's, that's, that's a mindset that's got to change. You know what, following on from that, I think there have been two big statement games in the Premier League season so far. One was Man City winning at Chelsea and the other one was Saturday. And like Steve said, the two teams on Saturday both looked paralysed by fear. All they wanted was a point. And I actually thought at that Chelsea-Man City game a couple of weeks ago, Chelsea had the same philosophy. They basically didn't want to lose. That was their first priority, whereas obviously Guardiola sent out a City team to win. I think that is the difference between those four teams at the minute. Yes, uh, I was at that game and it wasn't very inspiring from Antonio Conte. United's goal difference, though, is plus 19. They're undefeated in eight. City are changing what is a good result. I don't know who said that over the weekend, but someone did. And with their intent to win, even in that game at Chelsea, mm. at home to Liverpool, the way they played, I know there was a sending off in that game. There's no handbrake in the big games at all from Pep Guardiola. Are they setting a new standard? I have to say, the evidence so far, and, you know, it is a very small body of evidence. We're only two months, eight games into the season. Yes is the simple answer, I think. You know, statistically, what, they've scored more goals than any team since 1890-something for the opening eight games of a top-flight season. Um, I think the key difference this season to last season, not only does Guardiola know this league and know his squad better than he did 12 months ago, is that squad is better. They had a good summer in the transfer market, which they hadn't really had before, and they've solved a lot of problems. And the depth of that squad, you know, Mourinho's main excuse on Saturday seemed to be that he had a couple of players out injured, therefore had to play for a draw because he didn't have enough midfield players on the bench. City have more than enough midfield players and pretty much every other position covered. They look, they look to me, City, 
look just a mirror image of that Barcelona mm. team that used to kind of destroy people. Um, With Alex, De Bruyne as Messi. <laughs> yeah, Alex Ferguson used to call it the carousel. Um, that They used to shift the ball from one side to mm. the next, looking mm. for the opening. City are now so direct, they're so slick, they're so quick, they're so fast. They just, they're just kind of utterly swamping teams. And... Um, you know, this is the vision Guardiola had for City when he first came. Mm. I think last season we all saw that he, he got frustrated at times, particularly with the media sometimes and the way he was questioned and quizzed and, and uh, people were, were sort of basically, he felt being disrespectful uh, about him and his knowledge of the game. He was this, a bit touchy. Yeah, this, Very, is, yeah. This, is, this, was, this has always been his vision. We're seeing it now. We didn't see it last season, but we're seeing it now and I'm certain it will end in trophies. Um, Kevin De Bruyne, absolutely sensational. I sent a tweet out on Saturday night. Just give the guy the PFA and the Football Writers Awards now. He is lit. And no one, no one else in the Premier League is going to play balls like that. Absolutely. And you know what? He's been, he's been playing of that level for a couple of years now. Just not, maybe not as consistently as he has been this season. But yeah, I think head and shoulders. A, a team that's playing like that as well suits his style. Um, and as you say, his range of passing. The technical ability of the players around him obviously makes him look that bit much better. But yeah, he's head and shoulders above anyone in this division. And the delicious irony, Sam, is that, uh, and the backdrop yeah. to this, is that uh, he was once a Jose player. Jose didn't rate him and sold him. Couldn't make it up, could you? I'm not, I'm not going to start again. Go on, get him riled. Get him riled. Um, uh, we can't get too excited, though. It is only October. This time last year, Chelsea were useless. Deja vu. And look what happened next. Here, here's some stats for you of the week. Shane Long now hasn't scored for 246 days. Carl Walker runs at an average of 21 miles an hour. That is a true story. And one for the next section of the pod, Real Madrid haven't lost a Champions League home game since March 2015. On the go, on your phone, on the website. The Mirror Football Podcast. A whole section on people whose jobs are on the line coming up. Hey, and not all of them are managers. Uh, But first of all, let's talk a Big Tom's big news. It's the stuff you may have missed amongst all the he couldn't knit cows backside with a banjo chat. Uh, What you got? For this week's news, I'm inspired by our current surroundings at the National Football Museum. Very nice. And particularly the the exhibition that's hanging above our head, actually, uh, concerning Juan Mata and the Common Goal Initiative. In previous pods, I've been disappointed by the silence of Premier League footballers when it comes to social and political issues. But credit where it's due, this initiative is fantastic and hopefully will only get bigger, stronger and more influential. Common Goal has a very simple and direct aim, to encourage more footballers to donate a minimum of 1% of their wages to a collective fund. And, and Matter does this, right? Matter does this. He's been the figurehead for the, for the campaign. This fund then gets allocated to football charities around the world, which could, have had the, which could have the greatest impact on issues ranging from gender equality in India to peace building in Colombia to refugee integration in Germany. Um, the players who have signed up are so far Juan Mata, as we've mentioned, from Manchester United, Giorgio Chiellini of Juventus, the Women's World Cup winners Alex Morgan and Megan Rapino, and recently, as a weekend, uh, Dennis Iogo from Stuttgart. Alex Morgan is one of the biggest stars in US women's soccer. I mean, she went to uh, Lyon, and won the Champions League recently uh, and a lot more besides and she's just gone back over to uh, the US uh, recently to get uh, their domestic season underway but she's she's the She's, she's the poster girl of women's soccer. Yeah, we, we, it needs, I think this campaign needs that kind of high-profile figure. Um, it, this, this whole initiative seems like the perfect antidote to the critics around footballers' bloated salaries and those who argue they do not do enough with their considerable platform in society. This isn't a, an attack on footballers at all. There are many clubs who do fantastic work year-round with their communities. But is it a question of positive news stories doesn't really interest the public? Or why do we not hear more about this sort of thing? Is it because they're so rare and that we haven't had more Premier League footballers jump on board for this campaign? Or is it because a sex or drug scandal creates better headlines for the papers? Uh, Gentlemen, what do we think? Well, I think Matt has had quite a lot of positive publicity about it, and quite rightly so. You know, he he had a couple of press launches that few, I think you were probably at one base as I was, and um, he comes across as nothing but completely and utterly admirable. I am surprised, slightly surprised and disappointed, I guess, as a a citizen, that more Premier League players haven't signed up. You'd have thought there'd be a couple of his mates in the United dressing room who'd do that. Um, Because, quite frankly, you're buying yourself so much goodwill by doing this. And all right, we, we are aware there are some negative stories about Premier League footballers on and off the field. If a few people signed up to this, you know, they'd be buying themselves an awful lot of goodwill. Yeah, I mean, 
football football basically is is seen by I think the wider world as a take 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 industry. You know, with footballers particularly, you know, taking out the game rather than putting in. What one Matt has done is fantastic. But you know, if you've ever spent any time with him or, or interviewed him, he's a thoroughly decent guy, and you absolutely cannot be surprised that he's going out on a limb and doing this because he's just he's just that kind of a guy. And if you come to the uh, National Football Museum, which is right in the heart of Manchester, Google it and find it. It's very easy to find. Um, it's actually got Starbucks right outside as well, which is always great for me, as you know. <laughs> the plug, you get 1% every time you mention that <laughs> yeah. as well. I get a free coffee every now and again. <laughs> um, but um, it's the, the exhibition detailing Juan Mata's work in the community is, is, is superb. It's great to see. So if you've got five minutes to come up and have a look at that, and maybe a couple of hours to spend with the kids here, it'd be absolutely... Hi, it's Finn Dwyer from the Irish History Podcast, and this is a Staycast from Acast. Please, please, please follow the government's advice right now, which is currently to stay at home where possible. While you're staying at home, I would recommend another great show that's worth checking out. It's Unexplained by Richard McLean Smith. It's a beautifully produced and gripping show that looks at unusual and sometimes unnerving occurrences from the past and present. It's perfect escapism. Check out Unexplained on the Acast app or wherever you get podcasts worth your while more big tom's big news on the way next week on the go on your phone on the website the mirror football podcast leon osman is coming on board for this section of the pod hi leon hi everyone you okay yeah all good thank you not quite a knockout blow uh, but uh, ronald koeman under increasing pressure as everton boss the the everton supporters had to get up at five o'clock in the morning to get to brighton on the coaches for that game it was moved for not super sunday but for indian tv and they didn't look like losing in the first half but they didn't look like winning either the second half absolute opposite it was quite interesting there was dramatic finish but for large portions everton too slow going backwards all the time no movement players getting each other's way and now the liverpool mayor and everton fan says that ronald koeman is the problem another tough week for for koeman what what's the issue do you think leon the players the system what what's the issue well, I think if it was um, that obvious for me to tell you that it would have been solved already. Um, I think there's a number of issues going on at the moment from um, you know, a, a lot of players who want to play the same system to not knowing what, what is his best team to, to trying to get the best players out there that maybe doesn't suit what players he's got in their formation that, that probably needs to be played. So I think there's more than, than one issue at the moment, but you know, the quality players that Evan have got, you look at the names that they've got on the team sheet and you know, regardless of the system, I think it's just a, a lack of confidence at the moment and one scruffy result will, will start Everton's season off. I've been lucky enough to see quite a few of their games already this uh, campaign or unlucky enough because they've all been pretty dull so far. There hasn't been a standout match that sort of captured uh, the, the pulse apart from Gilfie Sigurdsson's cracking finish in the game in split. And they, it seems to be a bit boring, a bit slow. You mentioned a lack of confidence, but there's no focal point either. And and, and have they been a little bit, um, I suppose not disrespectful, but have they been a little bit negligent in not signing someone to lead the line? I know it's difficult to replace someone like Romelu Lukaku, who got so many goals last season, but they needed someone who, who could hold the ball up or be a focal point. Yeah, and I mean, that's obvious. It's easy for us to, to say here now. I mean, I think everyone realised back in, January that that he was probably going to be on his way. So to have not replaced a guy who's who's such a, a massive part of the team, not just the goals, but the way he he led the line and the way he scared opposition defenders into dropping deep and and doubling up against him. And and without that threat, you know, defenders are now pushing up the field, denying Everton the, the space that that they need for the new number tens that that Ronald Koeman's employing for them to to play the football and. And it's not just the goals that there is now lacking from from not having a centre forward. It's the it's the stretching of the pitch, and it's the it's the direction that that Everton were using last season that unable to use this season. So, you know, there's there's happened to be a big change in in philosophy and in systems to to try and combat that. And as yet, Everton haven't found a way. Hello, Leon. It's Steve here. Um, <clears throat> do you think um, Cumin can turn this round, or do you think it's reached a point where? The fans have lost confidence in his ability to do that, um, and maybe the players themselves are losing a bit of confidence in the manager 
to come up with the formula to turn this round? I think it's um, it's too early to say the players have lost confidence. It's only um, you know a, a few games into the season. Players are players are clever enough to realise that you know sometimes things don't don't always start off as quickly as you want. There's there's been such a big change over in players that 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 you know it, it may have started off well, but the fact that it hasn't is no great surprise really. So I don't think the players will lose faith, but you know. Watching from from afar, watching from the stands, and seeing the way the team's performing at the moment, it's you know it, it's a, it's a real worry because there seems to be no cohesion, no real style of play, and and you're wondering where the next not only goal is coming from, but where the next chance is going to be created from, and and that at the moment is the concern. I think um, Sam, you just made a good point about the striker. It's obvious to anyone who's seen Everton this season that the not replacing Lukaku's goal has been a big miss. What I don't understand, they obviously thought they were going to get Olivier Giroud in the summer, and Koeman's actually said as much. Well, he said directly that he thought he was going to get Giroud. What I don't understand, and maybe you can ask Leon if he's got a, a better take on it, is I don't understand why there wasn't a plan B. Why they couldn't have gone out at the last minute and picked up an Andre Gray, Chris Wood, who Burnley paid a lot, you know, paid reasonable amount of money for by Premier League standards. It wasn't a huge amount. Why there wasn't a stopgap plan B in place for them to go out and buy another striker and whether that's Koeman's fault or the direction of football's fault because that to me could well cost him his job ultimately yeah yeah you're right it, it could um, you know to, to, it's so, so glaringly obvious now that, that Everton are, are lacking a striker you know I mean the way Everton is set up needs needs that focal point needs that striker do you, and do you blame Steve Walsh for not going out and getting that or do you blame Ronald Koeman for not identifying a plan B target who's whose fault is that well usually the when you you're looking at players that are getting brought into the club and who gets the final say on things it's it's usually the manager the manager would you know the, the scouting network identifies the players um, that are available and and the manager says yes or no to go and get them but in this case, it seems to be a bit different. It seems to be Steve Walsh that's um, that's the guy that not only identifies but but decides on whether players come in. I think Ronald Koeman mentioned that Gilfie Sigurdsson was his his main target that he brought in. So, you know that that in itself is a little bit strange. A manager would usually pick the teams he wants, pick the players he wants for his team, not the other way around. Um, and that one seems a bit strange. I think I think one of the things that Leon's just uh, touched on as well is that um, uh, basically, and the fans have picked up on this, there's no cohesion, there's no style to the play, there's no game plan, there's no pattern of play. Um, but I think that is because basically, and I don't know whether Leon agrees me, with me on this, I think it's basically because Ronald Koeman doesn't know his best eleven. I, I doubt whether he's played the same eleven in 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 many successive games. It seems to me he, he's got all these players available, but he doesn't know his best eleven. And I, I don't know whether he trusts certain players. Um, and obviously, at the centre of it all, you've got the Rooney conundrum because you buy a player like Wayne Rooney, and you buy a player like Wayne Rooney to play in your team. You don't play. You don't buy him to sit on the bench. But there are occasions maybe where Wayne's not, you know, doing the business and. Um, you might feel he's undroppable. Yeah, well, you know, I, I agree with pretty much all your points there. I mean, what I would say about Wayne, though, is despite all that's been said about him, I think he's he's our Premier League top scorer. So he's he's obviously he is obviously doing, you know, he's, he's doing more than most with regards to in front of goal. But Ronald Koeman certainly doesn't seem to to know his best team. He's he's changed the formation four or five times, not only this season but within games. Um, he's changed the personnel. There's there's been so much uncertainty. He's brought or so many players have come into the, the team that that all expect to play. And I'm pretty sure when you when you sign a new player, in, you, you guarantee you're not guaranteed, but you're telling them that they're a big part of the squad. And and now he's trying to fit them all into the team, and he's and he's finding it really difficult, especially with you know with with not having any confidence. He's sending them all out. There's no real style. There's no formation and. You know, I think if you'd asked 100,000 of, of Everton fans, I think I'd be surprised if you got two two teams that were the same at the moment because there's there's so many new players brought in and and there's so many different options that you know Ronald Koeman is is the guy who's got to make that decision, but he at the top of the, that tree doesn't seem to know what's his best his best formation or his best team. Last question for you, Leon. Um, how important is the Leon game on Thursday night? Well, it's. <laughs> 
it's very important. But the next two, the next two games, Everton have got a, a, a potentially season definers. If if Everton can can win in Lyon, then they're very much still within the European group and can, you know, keep that in, keep that going up until Christmas and concentrate on that and maybe potentially kickstart the game with a big lift going into a, a very difficult game against Arsenal on the weekend. Um, but you know, if that game doesn't go the right way, then really they're out of the group and it's 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 the chance to to concentrate on the league. But Arsenal coming on Sunday is is, is probably the perfect game for for Everton. It's a game where. They're at home. The crowd will be right behind the team. They, they'll be able to go out and get at Arsenal. And Arsenal have shown in, in recent weeks that even if they're a goal up or, or if things are going their way, that the, the opposition are very much in the game. So it could be a, a really good couple of days for Everton. The Mirror Football Podcast. Subscribe on iTunes via the podcast app and get a fresh Mirror Football Podcast as soon as it lands. Interesting take from Leon Osman on Ronald Koeman there. Other managers under pressure. Antonio Conte, I don't want to say I told you so, but I spent all summer that this squad is about as deep as a kid's paddling pool in a hosepipe band. Uh, I cannot stand uh, the idea of them trying to attack the Premier League, the Champions League, the FA Cup and the League Cup with 15 outfield players. Moses injured now for another four weeks. Conte's out. Morata's out. OK, apparently he's going to be back this week. But yeah, it, he's had a hamstring issue as if he's going to come back fully fit. 15 outfield players. I've not, I've not seen them attack anything yet, let alone all those competitions he's talking about. <laughs> I, certainly his Man City, they didn't. Yeah, I mean, you, you do look at, situa- you look at the situation at Man City, for example, where they spent £130 million on fullbacks and now they don't have a left-back in the squad somehow. So sometimes these recruitment policies don't go perfectly, I accept, but it does, it does look a major problem for Chelsea there. Well, listen, last season when, when Chelsea won the title um, at a canter uh, in, in many ways, Conte didn't use many players. He had quite a tight group that he relied upon. OK, maybe that was the perfect storm for them last season. Um, but I think you've just mentioned three or four players there, Sam, who were out with injury. I think if he got those players back, then it does look a decent sort of 16, 17 players. Admittedly, it's not the same size as um, strength of squad as Man City or Man United. Um, and, and that's maybe a surprise and maybe one of the reasons Conte doesn't look totally happy for me. I can see trouble uh, on the horizon with him. But that's OK if you're only playing in the Premier League, which they were last season. They just had Premier League football. They didn't really care about the League Cup. No, no. They didn't really care about the, the FA Cup, really. Yeah, they yeah. played the B team in that up until the semi-finals. The fact is that now they've got big competition to play every other, and, uh, every other three I, days. I think that's what recent history is showing us, isn't it? You know, Leicester, Chelsea, Liverpool almost the year before, though, before Leicester. These teams haven't been playing in the Champions League and have either won or come very close to winning the league. I think that's a huge factor that maybe we underestimate sometimes. The surprising thing for me, uh, Sam, is that the, the number of players Chelsea let go on loan. I mean, uh, Kurt Zuma, who's a, a terrific player, he's out on loan at the moment. Uh, why? <laughs> why? Why have they let him go out on loan when they've got a, a kind of smallish squad? Um, you know, they've sold uh, Dominic Solanke. Yeah. Uh, he's now featuring for Liverpool on a regular basis. Um, they do tend to shoot themselves in the foot, uh, Chelsea, um, on, on this, with this loan situation quite a number of times for me. Do you want to mention De Bruyne again at this point, just to cheer Sam <laughs> well, up even more? You, you like the doctor, don't you? <laughs> <laughs> you get it mentioned here, Emanike, was, was his name? Dr. Emanala. Michael Emanala. Dr. Emanala. Is he a doctor? Why have you given him a doctorate? He can barely hire a blooming football squad. Don't give him a doctor. Oh, don't, don't forget Ta- Tammy Abraham as well. Who scored Tammy Abraham scoring goals this Good weekend. Good job, Tom, yeah. R- Romelu Lukaku's not bad. He used to be yeah. at Chelsea. Um, uh, Kevin right. De Bruyne, we've mentioned. You've mentioned Solanke. In fact, you've mentioned them all. So, uh, we, we, could have a, we could have a little game here, couldn't we? Name, name, name the Chelsea eleven <laughs> who could challenge for this year's title that they've sold. Yeah. Ahead of the Chelsea's current Chelsea team. Yeah. Yeah. How's Nemanja Matic getting on, by the way? <laughs> oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Good shout. Uh, Mark Hughes must be under pressure one too, matter. right? Um, yeah. <laughs> yeah, one matter. Yeah, all right, keep going. <laughs> <laughs> uh, you look at the Stoke eleven, though, uh, Batesy, and there's quality in there, isn't there? Especially in the front room. Uh, losing to City is no disgrace. Anyone can lose to City. Seven goals, all right, it can happen. But they also lost to Everton as well. I mean, it's not going particularly well for him. And their squad isn't that bad. No, it's not a bad squad. And, and you know, they, they made some decent additions in the summer. Um, uh, you know, you wonder whether Mark Hughes has been there now four or five years and the, the general perception is that he really did take them on a level from where Tony Pulis Until was Until last year. Yeah, but they seem to have 
hit a bit of a brick wall at the moment. They don't seem to be a team that are, are, are going anywhere. Obviously, a 7-2 hammering at City, you can't really... You've got to put that in context. I mean, City can do that to anybody. So I wouldn't particularly um, put, put that down as a, as a black mark against Mark Hughes and Stoke. But for me, they're a team that are just treading water. And, and the fans, you know, the Stoke fans would say that. But I do wonder what, where he's meant to take them next. You know, Everton have spent £140 million this summer. And Koeman said before the season started, Koeman basically said, I'll be happy to finish where we finished last season, having spent £140 million. So if Mark Hughes has got a billion, and I mean literally a billion pounds to spend then I think his fans have got a right to demand top four or top six or top seven. Where do, they, where do those Stoke fans expect Stoke to finish in the table? He did give Tom Edwards his debut on Saturday um, and particularly good cross for, for one of the Stoke goals. But I wonder whether or not that was the right game to give him his debut in. Arsene Wenger, is he under a little bit of pressure as well? Scandalous penalty, he said. Mark Clattenberg in the aftermath has said, it was a penalty. There was contact, uh, which is presumably why uh, Richarlison wasn't written up by the FA because uh, they could have taken retrospective action if they thought it was a dive. Well, listen, I, I, think, I think what we're seeing with Wenger is what a lot of people thought would happen. You're giving this two-year contract, three or four months into that contract, uh, the wheels are off again, and here we go. And we've presumably got to sit through the whole Groundhog Day again of Wenger, will he, won't he, new contract. I mean, have we, any of us got the energy for that right now, but... I actually Can we leave it actually, Just going back to that game, I actually didn't think that was a penalty. I thought Arsenal did seem mm. to be hard done by on that, you did. on that one. I did, yeah. But again, you know, we saw, we heard the quotes from uh, the Watford side who, who basically questioned whether, um, you know, the they've, got the stom- they've got the stomach for the fight. And how many times have we heard that question being asked of Arsenal? Have mm. they got the stomach for the fight? And clearly, you know, it's never going to be resolved while Arsene Wenger's there. I did feel sorry for Meza Erzo as well. I mean, I- Granted, he doesn't really put a shift in often, but on social media, the guy gets absolutely hung out to dry. And if the grass is too long at the Emirates, it's Ozil's fault at the moment, rather than Wenger's or anyone else. He doesn't really do anything, though, does he? I mean, when the chips are down, what what does he do? I mean, he just stands there watching. Set up he's, not, he's, he's, not, he's definitely not a player you'd want in the trenches, is he? <laughs> um, you know, and... Um, uh, he's a supremely skillful player, but it's got to be all going his way for him to really shine for me. He's not a game turner. He's not a game changer. When when the chips are down, uh, you don't look to him to sort of uh, dig you out of the hole. And I thought it was significant this week when or last week when Wenger said, admitted for the first time that Sanchez and Ozil could be going in January. You know that was a sort of sh- a sea change, and you do Crikey, wonder. They'd be on the first ticket out of there. Well, that they? was my thought exactly. You know, maybe Wenger's finally seen the light and realised he needs to get rid of one or both. That's the, the, the point about Ozil uh, Wenger. Which player is flourishing at Arsenal right now? Mm. Is, is anyone? There's nothing, is there? It's a great question that sent us completely silent. <laughs> I was just looking at you, Radi- seeing if you had an answer. <laughs> Complete radio silence yeah. there, Tom. We're all stunned by that because nobody's got an answer. Uh, tweet us, at stay on your feet, if there is a player at Arsenal that you think is flourishing right now. Uh, Greg Clark, he's in a spot of bother, isn't he? Two weeks ago, he was praising Eni Aluko for reporting alleged racism inside the England women's football setup. He has got to explain why he responded with the phrase, I've no idea why you are sending me this, perhaps you could enlighten me. And that was 30 minutes after the PFA sent him a six-page letter outlining the allegations of racism against the England women's football setup. He was sent it because he's the chairman and the PFA thought the accusation was so troubling that someone in high authority should know about them. And that was his curt one-line response. What's next for him? Well, for me, it should be the sack. I mean, he's the head of the organisation. For me, he skillfully avoided putting his head above the parapet during this whole Aluko uh, Sampson affair. Um, he's let other people take the flak. Dan Ashworth for one, Martin Glenn for another. Um, and he's stayed in the background. He is the figurehead of the organisation. For me, he should have been up front at the very start of this, but he wasn't. And now we, we, we've got sight of this 14-word uh, email, which again is an absolute astonishing um, reaction. And it, it just shows the way, uh, the disjointed way that, that there's, there's a complete disconnect between the FA, it appears, and reality. Because how they could and Greg Clark particularly with that email response, how he could think that this was not really an issue to be taken seriously is beyond me. I mean, I think really, you know, the only thing we can do here is 
sack this guy. And reality is the key word here, because let's be straight about this. This isn't just a, a, ch a chief executive or a CEO or a chairman who's made a bad appointment of a manager or something. These are social, and in, in this case, quite possibly legal issues. And this guy has been completely negligent, or so it would seem from what we know. Hey, and I've also got to say, I know Batesy will agree with me on this one. You know, credit to the journalists who've dug away at this story. The, 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 the print media especially comes in for a lot of flack. Some of it justified, most of it not. But, you know, without the work of one or two guys who we know, who we work closely with up here in Manchester, this story would never have come out. It's amazing, isn't it? Because this is a prime example of total incompetency from an organisation which has constantly, over the last 20, been, uh, 20 years or so, been labelled as not fit for purpose. Mm. And we've got a new chairman, a new chief executive, a new structure behind the scenes, a brand new football centre in St George's Park, and yet still nothing appears to change. What do you do? Well... I mean, you look at the scandals over the last 12 months, it's been ridiculous. Listen, we, we will keep having these scandals. I mean, basically, I think the, the FA is a fatally flawed organisation, maybe just simply because of the way it's structured uh, with the FA Council and the old buffers who, mm. who, who have a, a, an unequal amount of power given, you know, their status and, and you know, uh, the associations they represent. Uh, for me, it's... it's well, as you say, Sam, it's, it's not fit for purpose, the organisation. We stumble from one, uh, one crisis to the next. Um, this whole affair has, has been you know, underpinned by just a lack of cohesion, a lack of common sense and a lack of appreciation that this, is, this was a serious issue. A lack of professionalism. Yeah, and this has been, you know, we we'll go back to the original Mark Samson report from Bristol, which was 2015, 2014, 2015. This has been now in the pipeline for two or three years. That report, um, initially, um, uh, initially sort of uh, detailing what Samson had done, that's, that's sat on somebody's desk for two, in somebody's drawer for two years. It's ridiculous. And what, what baffles me is that, you know, they've been so slow to act on this, the FA, yet... When they had the Summit Allardyce uh, England mm. affair, uh, they, they, they couldn't Very pull the trigger quick enough. Which, 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 for me, they got that wrong, uh, and they've got this wrong. They're, they're just, uh, just a kind of a, a joke of an organisation. Well, the FA say that once Greg Clark had received that letter in 2016 uh, from the PFA, he checked with his executive team as to what actions were being taken regarding the allegations. What that statement doesn't explain is why he didn't respond in a manner more becoming of someone in high office. Uh, there is parliamentary hearings this week, and I suspect more breaking news by the end of the week. The Mirror Football Podcast. I think we mentioned that we're at the National Football Museum today and Craig is with us. Uh, Craig, uh, come and tell us a little bit about what you do at the museum and what's going on at the moment because apart from having my picture taken with Pele, apparently I can also learn to do some soccer skills and uh, some penalty taking. Yeah, there's plenty on a half term. We always have a, a fantastic, really wide-ranging programme for all the family uh, through every half term and, and summer holiday as well. Uh, so something we're really looking forward to doing. Of course, Halloween's just around the corner, so we have some special Halloween-themed events going on. We and have what does that involve? Um, some scary events like Steven Gerrard slipping over in his own half or something oh, like that? Do me a favour, next. I couldn't, I couldn't <laughs> possibly say. He's just been inducted to the Hall of Fame, so uh, we're very pro Steven Gerrard this year. So <laughs> Thank you very much. <laughs> I think Tom seems to, uh, seems to appreciate that. But, uh, yeah, we, um, we're going to have a, a Tricks and Feats uh, special event where kids can come in bob for apples try and do as many keep you ups as they can we're going to do some some nice prizes as well we often do big giveaways around halloween so there'll be plenty more for kids to enjoy and of course all of our football plus will be on as usual for kids to practice the keep you ups and penalty shootouts and whatnot uh, where did the idea of the football museum come from and how has it evolved into what it is now which is like a spectacular attraction for all the family because there's loads to do here well the germ of the idea obviously came from from its foundations in preston but since we've come here to Manchester in 2012, it's just grown year on year on year. And I think what we really try to do is, is appeal to, to everybody and get as many people through the door and get as many people engaging with football and the history of football. A lot of fans seem to come here and expect to see big features on, on pretty much every club. But actually, when you follow it round, it's more a progression of, of the game, how it's developed from sort of the ancient foundations, like from China, right the way through. And it covers different aspects rather than individual clubs and I think that uh, resonates really well with a lot of fans who come here and a lot of international visitors as well 
uh, seem to really appreciate that aspect. And with an accent like that, you're what a Portsmouth or a Southampton or a Plymouth <laughs> fan? Oh, 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 you're going a bit northern, aren't you? It's got to be a little bit higher up. <laughs> Who's your team? Blythe Spartans. Blythe Spartans. Oh, Who answer. was expecting that? Good That's answer. got to be a first for the show, surely. Well done. <laughs> That's pretty niche. I went to Blythe the other day. I couldn't find the ground. Really? Yeah. It's in a it's in a housing estate. Ah, it's well, a little, probably it's a little <laughs> away. You probably wandered into the town centre and <laughs> got yourself a little lost. Listen, thank you very much for having us. We really appreciate it. No, no, enjoy it. Thank you. And you can follow the uh, football museum on Twitter. You can uh, at football museum and, and on Instagram as well. Uh, again, slash national football museum and Facebook, just the same national football museum. Action, reaction, and the best columnists and analysis. This is Mirror Football. Well, that's it uh, from this week's uh, Mirror Football podcast. Uh, the team uh, this week, Steve Bates, uh, Ian Whittle and Big Tom, the producer, and me. Uh, we're back on our travels next week. I've got the League Cup in London, so I'll be there. Um, first, Benfica, Manchester United uh, tomorrow. Everton, Leon on Thursday. Southampton, West Brom on Saturday. And then the old farm derby, Ipswich versus Norwich. I don't want to brag about it, but I've got some great games right there. I've got some games. You've there's, got some air miles games. as well there, haven't you? Uh, it's not bad. I'm looking forward to it. What are you all doing, Steve? Uh, tonight I'm at City, Napoli. Oh, lovely. Um, and then uh, I'm going to the Everton-Leon game on um, Thursday evening. Yeah. And then, as yet, just waiting to hear where I'm going on Saturday. But I would imagine it'll either be Huddersfield and Man U or Man City-Burnley. Uh, Ian, you're I've going to a City, aren't you, on C- tonight? City tonight. I Napoli have won eight out of eight in uh, Serie A, is that right? And they've I got the best so. defence in Italy and they're playing the best attack in uh, the Premier League. Well, so. You, so probably only 5-0 then. To yeah, see. yeah. <laughs> to hear Pep tell it, they're playing the best team in the world tonight, City. Mind so games, mind yeah, games. Mind back games. to where so we back to, That's right. Uh, remember to contact us via Twitter or Facebook. Rate us and review us on iTunes tunes as well and subscribe to the mirror football podcast tweet us your questions before every pod at stay on your feet the mirror football podcast subscribe on itunes via the podcast app and get a fresh mirror football podcast as soon as it lands this is Acast recommends every week we pick one of our favorite shows And this is one we think you're going to love. Hello, I'm Jeff Lloyd, and I recently had a baby with Ed Miliband. A baby podcast, that is. It's a spin-off of our show, Reasons to be Cheerful. It's called Cheerful Book Club, and it's conversations with some of the best writers working in the world today. You'll really enjoy our chats with people like US broadcasting legend Rachel Maddow, literary giant Ian McEwan, and the big short and moneyball author Michael Lewis. Feed your brain with ideas from the Cheerful Book Club. You'll find us on the excellent Acast app or wherever else you get your podcasts. Acast is home to the biggest podcasts from Ireland and around the world. Subscribe to this show and hundreds more now via Acast or wherever you get your podcasts.